The CAEH Training and Technical Assistance Program is a nonprofit consulting service with a mission to end homelessness. Their goal is to support and accelerate an end to homelessness by providing high quality, accessible, affordable, evidence-based coaching, training, and technical assistance. Choose from established and proven trainings or have something tailored specifically to meet your needs. Visit training.caeh.ca to book your consultation or training today. Meet their dedicated and friendly trainers and find out how you can end homelessness in your community once and for all at training.caeh.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And as always, I am joined by the wonderful Stefania. How are you? What is new at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness? Oh, it's good to see you again, Michael. And thank you for asking. I'm good. And there is so much new uh, at the CAEH. Uh, Recently, we launched a really, really big national campaign called Vote Housing. It's going to be a nonpartisan campaign designed to engage and mobilize Canadians to pledge to vote housing in the upcoming federal election, because we know one is coming. So we're just working away on that. We launched it. And now we're sort of in the process of getting volunteers and getting organizations to come on board. So when the election, uh, when the writ drops, we're, we're ready to go and we're, we're out there campaigning for folks to vote housing. So yeah, votehousing.ca, just like my little plug for the day. <laughs> a little bit of work, okay? Just a little bit, just a little bit, a, yeah. <laughs> word, word on the street is you're up for the job today. Is that true? Uh, yeah, that is. Yes, I am just like working away on it. And I'm so I'm the deputy campaign director with uh, Vote Housing. And it's we've got CHRA, CHF Canada, it's just a whole bunch of folks uh, at the table. But anyway, uh, pivoting really nicely, as I always <laughs> like to do. Can you tell us what can you tell us about our amazing guest today? I'm uh, I'm really stoked to have this guest on today. We have the incredible uh, Carol Saab. She, so Carol is the CEO of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and a great intro as deserved. So she's a tireless champion for cities and communities, driving an ambitious vision for local government leadership and building a more sustainable, prosperous and inclusive Canada. She's an accomplished strategist with a decade of experience in federal and municipal advocacy, high performing goal oriented, Carol has been a driving force behind watershed achievements for municipalities, securing unprecedented investment and progress for cities and communities. Recognized by her peers as tenacious, ambitious, and a game changer, and consistently voted as one of the top 100 lobbyists in Canada. She is a 2020 recipient of Canada's top 40 under 40 and the Women of Influence in Local Government Award from Municipal World. Wow. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm so pleased to be here with you both today. Sorry, uh, I just have to pause one sec. My program just crashed. Sorry, one sec. (laughs) Oh no. Sorry, I just have to get the questions back up. So sorry. 
Never happened before. I guess I was due for some technical issues. I saw the look on your face and it wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why is this happening now? Sorry, one second. I know, I'm so sorry. Don't be. It's the beauty of editing. Right? I know, I'm just creating more uh, work for Mike. Sorry, I'm just going to shake this one sec. (laughs) I'm going to take a pause. Carol, it's so exciting to have you on the show today. Thank you for making the time. Um, So you took the reins as CEO last June, which is, so you're coming up on your year. Tell us about the journey you took to become CEO and what leading during a global pandemic has been like. You know, uh, interestingly, uh, my journey uh, to this role to to sort of politics and then eventually local government uh, really, uh, truly began with the motivation toward ending homelessness. So it's a timely uh, question that you're here asking me, uh, and perhaps less surprisingly, uh, a real belief in community building. You know, I I was born in Lebanon, but I grew up in Scarborough, Ontario, uh, and spent a lot of my youth in downtown Toronto, which I tell you, uh, built very deeply within me. Um, sort of an imperative to contribute to tackling homelessness. And, you know, I define myself as an organizer to my core. I've seen, you know, firsthand the incredible uh, and incomparable impact of grassroots community organizing and community development. Um, But like so many who do that work, I was frustrated with the limits of what was possible without a more enabling policy and political context, which uh, then drew me into federal politics. Again, sort of purpose-driven on many issues, but, but chiefly housing when I first started. Um, But then I quickly realized after spending a bit of time there that I wanted to find a way to merge the two realms, you know, the the bigger picture change we needed across the country uh, with the on the ground tangible action. And so enter local government, in particular FCM, uh, where I've now been for almost 11 years. And as you said, coming up on one year as CEO. Um, I have to say, you know, in my time with FCM, I've learned more about cities and communities uh, what makes them tick, their frontline challenges, sort of the, the opportunity, the innovation they can drive, then I honestly believe them than I would have in a lifetime otherwise. Um, and I've been immersed in the complexities of our country, you know, the very unique realities that come together to, to form our fabric uh, and that need to be considered in all the issues we face uniquely. And so uh, that's why I insist in our work that we are, you know, dogmatically focused, uh, member focused in our work. Um, and so that's what brought me to this point, taking on this role amid a pandemic. Uh, that's a, <laughs> that's been something. Uh, no doubt, it's uh, it's brought incredible challenges, but also uh, really truly inspiration. You know, watching our members being a part of what's been happening on the grounds in cities and communities across the across the country, um, and honestly, our staff team uh, banding together to do whatever really whatever was necessary to make progress against this pandemic to keep Canadians safe. And so. You know, when the pandemic started, we were determined to do what we were best at at FCM. We see that as, you know, helping and empowering our members to, to lead the way to serve Canadians in their communities. 
And given the scale and, and the urgency of this crisis, that meant, you know, really revisiting all of our plans, you know, completely retooling our focus, our resourcing, um, to focus very deliberately on pandemic response. You know, since day one, the local leaders have been working flat out to keep Canadians safe. Uh, they've been doing that in the face of rising costs, plummeting revenues. They've kept municipal services going strong, everything from, you know, the frontline essential workers to public transit to shelter for vulnerable residents. Um, and our job at FCM is at all times, and particularly at a time like this, to ensure that they are connected, that they're informed, uh, that they're resources, that they're resourced, sorry. And so that means bringing them together strategically to enable shared best thinking um, and developing tools they can leverage locally and being that link to the federal government to ensure a coordinated response that reflects the realities on the ground. Um, you know, key to that has been the work that we led throughout this pandemic to secure the emergency supports um, for operating costs uh, in our really historic agreement with the federal government um, to recognize sort of the absolute urgency of continuing the frontline work of cities and communities. Uh, and as this pandemic continues, Canadians are going to keep depending on their on their communities and cities to, to deliver the essential services. Many municipalities are still taking extraordinary measures for residents. For residents. We're going to have to keep those services going strong. And now we need to also tool them up to drive a recovery. Uh, and we need to find a way to do all of that in a way that uh, leverages the hard lessons we've learned in this pandemic to come out of it with a very, uh, you know, fundamentally more equitable country and one that's more sustainable. And so it's been uh, quite a year. <laughs> it hasn't been easy, certainly not what I expected, nor I assume what any of us did. Um, but honestly, I can say chock full of motivation. And as I say to our team constantly, you know, changes our new normal. And we've got to be the absolute best at not only managing it, but leveraging it and thriving. It absolutely is the new normal. And listen, so I, I am an avid follower of you on Twitter. Um, and, and so here's my challenge to you. So you talked about the work that uh, SEM is doing now during the pandemic. But if you had to explain, if uh, I know you have young children at home, if you had to go into their class, and explain to the class what uh, the federal uh, FCM does on a normal year outside of a pandemic. <laughs> How would you explain that? Yeah, well, I haven't yet gone into their class, but it's not a fundamental, uh, not a hypothetical, I mean, because I, I have had to try to explain this to my children uh, who are quite young. So I'll give you that context before I answer there. One's just turned four and one is almost nine. Um, and so I say to them, you know, that one of our most uh, fundamental needs as people uh, and one of the most important things we can do is to build and live in community with one another and for communities to be healthy, to be strong, amazing places for people to live, to work, to play. A lot of things have to exist for them. And, you know, and it's always I always try to get my kids to help me sort of name name those things, you know, and they, they come up with the things that are relevant in their context, you know, schools, clean parks, the library, you know, and we start talking about homes and we start talking about other critical parts of the infrastructure in their communities. And so I say to them, you know, mama works with the leaders of those communities, uh, mayors and others and leaders of our country to really do everything we can to give our cities and communities the best chance possible at being healthy and strong communities for, for every single person in them, no matter who they are, where they came from, uh, or what they have. And I mean, you know, fundamentally, that's it, isn't it? That's who we are 
as people. It's what we should be aiming to do. Uh, that's how I choose to contribute. You know, I can tell you, though, I've heard my son uh, recite that to, to somebody who's asked him what his mom mom does. And it doesn't quite translate the same way with that sort of moral imperative that I've tried to try, <laughs> try with him. You know, I think he says something like, my mom works with mares. But, you know, <laughs> I'd like to think uh, that deep inside him and his brother are, are these budding community builders in, in whatever way they choose to, to, to manifest that in their lives. That's amazing. And I love that so much. Um, I have a son who's three, so I completely understand the challenge of (laughs) (laughs) describing what you do at this point. He's just discovering computers. So he's a little behind on what I actually do with it. Um, So on that same thread, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing local municipalities currently? Oh, yeah. You know, I get asked that often. And I'll tell you, uh, given the, the um, various and different challenges facing municipalities across the answer across the country. There's no short answer to that, but I'll try to I'll try to succinctly um, say it. Obviously, right now, um, COVID and and crisis response is going to continue to be a top priority. You know, our members are driving vaccine rollout, uh, thinking about reopening. Um, as we go forward. Uh, you know, I alluded it to, to it earlier, um, municipalities have taken a massive revenue hit uh, right now. I mean, truly it was forcing it to a crisis situation in many cities and communities across the country, um, particularly given uh, transit and the revenue oper- that has been lost uh, in transit operations that we're gonna see a hangover of that. It's not gonna jump back on day one. Um, and so how we continue to, to resource cities and communities that they can continue to deliver in the context of of the recovery they need to be able to drive is going to be a top priority. Um, And then, of course, you know, we have a real opportunity in the the recovery to drive a transformation. And so you look at issues like climate, which includes transit, includes um, natural infrastructure. It also includes, you know, how are we going to help uh, Western communities uh, make that transition to be to be also thriving in in the post-COVID context. Um, Certainly, you know, housing, uh, homelessness and mental health is going to remain a top priority. Uh, for cities across the country. We'll talk about that lots, I'm sure. Um, And then there's a gambit of issues that are unique to rural communities. You know, everything from the lack of access to to broadband uh, for everything from health services, you know, online businesses, education, um, all the way we saw in in COVID, the potential impacts on the agriculture chain and tourism industry. Um, And now, you know, with the announcement of of Greyhound cancelling service in Canada, strengthening rural and regional passenger bus service, which is uh, such a critical link for so many, especially our most vulnerable, is going to be uh, a really critical priority too. And so it's a it's a big list of things. I've pulled out a few. And then in the context of um, how, how we build, use this moment to build a country, a better country that we want to come out of this, doing all of this with a really meaningful equity lens applied to it um, is going to be both an opportunity and, and challenge for cities and communities across the country. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. 
That is absolutely a, a big list and why the Federation focuses on many things because this podcast is structured mainly around housing and homelessness. I was wondering if you could talk about the role that the Federation plays in supporting the development of sustainable and affordable housing. For sure. I mean, these, as I said, they're among our very highest priorities, uh, you know, and I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish for our advocacy work uh, recently as well, um, securing federal funding for supportive, supporting affordable housing and, and actually directly involved in the delivery of programming that ensures um, environmental sustainability of housing that works to, to counteract and, and reduce the impacts of climate change. You know, uh, you know well, housing affordability is a growing problem in Canada and across the country, the stock of affordable rental housing is quickly disappearing, uh, while home ownership is also becoming increasingly unattainable for many. Uh, that's a problem that's most prominent in urban municipalities across the country, but mid-size and rural municipalities also uh, face their own unique housing challenges. And so as the voice of local government across Canada, we've been uh, really playing an instrumental role working with the federal government uh, to provide municipalities with the resources they need to increase the housing supply um, and make Canada an affordable place for everyone uh, to live. You know, I'll, I'll highlight a couple of specific ways we're doing that. One um, is a program that I know you've discussed on your program before as well, the Rapid Housing Initiative. Uh, it's a newly launched $2.5 billion federal program uh, that responded directly to FCM's call for the creation of much needed, permanent, deeply affordable and supportive housing. Uh, the first round of that is set to deliver 4,700 homes in a 12-month time frame. We can expect even more units as part of the recently announced second, uh, second round. And that consists of two pathways, you know, and the first idea was to buy up and convert buildings that were available at really low prices because of the pandemic, which includes, although not ideal, includes motels and rooming houses and convert those into deeply affordable and supportive housing. And the second is, of course, new builds and new housing with a particular focus on modular construction because of its speed and, and flexibility. And so here, you know, I have to say this is one of the areas where we've learned an important lesson in the as a country, I hope, in the pandemic, which is that greater collaboration between local governments and other orders of government, notably the federal government, um, leads to better program design. You know, the RHI is led by the federal government, but it works because it empowers local expertise. It puts tools in the hands of municipalities to tackle those local needs. And it really exists because local leaders came together and advocated for a tool that can work um, in their very unique context. And so um, that's, a, that's a real takeaway. I hope we, we scale that both in terms of the program, but also how we got there, our thinking around ambitiously um, pushing past jurisdictional boundaries and having, having conversations together as governments um, to, to drive the best outcomes for Canadians. Um, and, uh, you know, the other the other one I wanted to talk to you asked specifically also about sustainability um, is really, you know, as with the aging housing stock, rising energy costs, increasing demand for affordable housing are, are creating unique challenges for, for housing affordability. And so in response to that. Um, we have a green municipal fund. It is endowed by the federal government, and we created a, a new stream, $300 million, towards uh, what is the Sustainable Affordable Housing Initiative Program. And that's to help do things like upgrade existing housing units um, or construct new affordable housing units that reduce energy use and GHG emissions, 
um, that will increase housing and energy affordability um, and increase building quality and the comfort and health and the well-being of their residents. And so uh, this is a program and initiative that we're offering right now. It's grants and loans to support those kinds of highly impactful environmental projects from their inception all the way through to construction. Um, and in that program, we've also uh, partnered with uh, three key sector organizations, uh, co-ops and nonprofit housing organizations in the delivery of a regional energy coach pilot program. And so that'll uh, it'll work to provide energy retrofits um, to home helping reduce GHG emissions as well. And so um, lots of progress on that front. We just last week uh, announced uh, $2 million worth of projects that are going to enable those kinds of uh, local affordable housing providers to retrofit their existing stock. Um, and that is going to result in uh, just that one announcement alone will result in over 1300 efficient and affordable new uh, or retrofitted homes. And so there's a real opportunity as we think about how we address this crisis, as we think about how we invest uh, in housing coming out of this uh, towards a recovery to, to really look for that sort of multi-impact investment uh, and do this in a way that is driving sustainability outcomes as well. Absolutely. And the key word there, as you said, is it is an investment. Uh, Carol, we talk with all sorts of amazing Canadians like yourself um, that are showing leadership in the sector. But sometimes we look outside of Canada for inspiration uh, to prevent and end homelessness. Sometimes it's Finland, Norway, uh, the UK, and we borrow from them. I, I'm going to assume it's the same at, at your work of the Federation. And with that being said, um, can you talk about what other countries are, are doing great work that you might borrow or, or, or uh, yeah, you might borrow from? Sure, sure. I, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, when it comes to, to ending homelessness, we have uh, really important work to do. And we both got to appreciate sort of the progress we're making, but look at those kinds of examples of success to, to really guide and, and inspire us. You know, I want to start out, I'll, I'll give you, and I promise I'll get to international, but I, I do have to highlight a few homegrown um, ideas that I think, you know, initiatives that I think are worth being on the radar and scaling. You know, in Alberta, for example, um, Medicine Hat deserves huge congratulations. They're very close to eliminating chronic homelessness. We see in Ontario, uh, Guelph, Wellington, Chatham, Kent, and Dufferin County, they've all been successful in substantially reducing chronic homelessness. London announced in February that it has successfully eliminated homelessness among veterans. Um, and so there are some, there's some real sort of domestic thinking and, and pilots that we need to really scale and leverage uh, in our own country, but certainly we need to draw inspiration and, and some of the success from the international level. Um, I'll highlight Finland as one of those examples. We, I really think we should be learning everything we can um, from, from Finland. They have truly embraced a housing first approach, which, which I fundamentally believe in. Um, and those experiencing, which is, you know, those experiencing homelessness are offered high quality supportive housing with no strings attached. Um, and as a result, their country is a world leader in terms of its level of homelessness. They're saving uh, money in the process because demands on their police, their justice, their healthcare system are reduced. I mean, this is the thing we know about this, right? Is it's not only the right thing to do. Uh, it's not only the, so we don't only have a moral imperative to do it. There's also a very strong business case for why we should be tackling homelessness in this country. Um, and we know even in the Canadian context that every dollar spent on housing and supports for those who are chronically homelessness 
um, saves over two in costs related to healthcare and the justice system, uh, shelters and other supports. And so we need to be doing it. We need to be learning um, and drawing on, on these lessons where we go forward. Um, at FCM, we're gonna work on the issue of homelessness on several fronts. And so we've talked about already um, the need for more units of permanent and, and deeply affordable housing via programs like the Rapid Housing Initiative. But we've also got to ensure that we have the right programs to help people connect with appropriate housing. And so that's where our advocacy rounds out. You know, the Federal Reaching Home Program provides uh, funding for areas like housing placement, homelessness prevention, um, and we're calling for a permanent annual increase uh, to this fund. We're, we're pleased to, to see that's been extended, not quite permanent yet, but, but getting closer. <laughs> um, and I'm very pleased to, to see that kind of progress. And that's the kind of sort of comprehensive approach we're going to need to take to, to really um, make progress against what is a, sh a very important um, and shared ambitious goal of ending homelessness in this country. That's so great. And I really love the uh, homegrown uh, examples that you gave because those are all built for Zero Canada communities that we work with under the umbrella of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness and couldn't agree more. And Medicine Hat is very, very, very close. We're actually going through the confirmation process with them, right? Because they've actually sustained and, and have done it. So, which is super Amazing. exciting. Yeah. So um, we talked about how the pandemic has impacted communities across Canada. I mean, we're all living in a community right now. We're seeing those impacts every day. Can you speak to how the pandemic has changed things for the Federation? For sure, it's affected our work in, in many ways, you know, and again, I'll, I'll start by highlighting the sort of the impact of the drop in, in revenues that cities collect to fund our social services, as well as housing and transit really has, has placed such incredible pressure on local governments and their ability to respond um, to, to everything, including the present health crisis. Um, and I'll focus in on a, its impacts with respect to our work on housing. You know, the pandemic really exposed uh, the, the chronic shortage of social and affordable housing and the importance of having a quality home that provides a safety and is, a, is affordable. You know, we know that um, every year, 235,000 people experience homelessness is just one of the many uh, vulnerable groups the pandemic disproportionately impacts. Uh, and this chronic uh, shortage reflects decades of underinvestment that has left far too many people without secure housing and at risk of homelessness. Um, and it impacts one's ability to then meet other needs, such as food or transportation. Uh, you know, it increases a reliance on emergency shelters when they should be the last resort. Um, and more broadly, the pandemic's heightened our overall housing challenges. You know, you're seeing high home price and high rents exposing people to major risks when, when incomes unexpectedly decrease. Um, and it's underscoring, you know, that municipalities have a critical role to play. It's important that all levels of government and our nonprofit and community housing service providers are working together uh, to tackle housing affordability during, during this pandemic. You know, we've seen that at a local level I was so impressed with the work of many municipalities to, to move very quickly. They leased motels or repurposed arenas um, in the immediate for temporary shelters to keep people safe and distanced as they created, you know, and they created portable hygiene stations and a number of other sort of really important and, and urgent initiatives. Uh, we saw some provinces step up to support acquisitions and uh, many putting temporary restrictions on evictions and in a few cases um, complemented by financial supports for renters. 
And we saw the federal government do important, uh, very important things, including the rapid housing initiative with municipalities um, and the housing sector playing, uh, and the province playing roles in, in delivery. Um, and so all of this is key. You know, we saw important boost to, to federal reaching home program. Um, and, I, you know, I have to say we've, one of the things that has shifted, I talked about the importance of sort of shifting and our ability to partner more ambitiously across governments, but also outside of government. You know, at FCM, we partnered with the Canadian Medical Association Foundation, um, who quickly stepped up with a $10 million donation um, that they wanted to uh, deliver directly to cities. And so they worked with us and, you know, we were able to leverage our programs infrastructure to assist vulnerable populations during the pandemic, particularly those experiencing experiencing homelessness. And so ultimately achieving that goal of eliminating chronic homelessness, ensuring, you know, all Canadians are adequately housed um, is, is a goal that I think has been uh, we've been able to catalyze momentum around. Uh, we're firmly sort of positioned, we believe, uh, at a necessary center of that and are gonna continue to work, um, work away at it. And, you know, I have to say in a, in a broader context to, to answering the question, how has the pandemic changed our work? Um, you know, the pandemic has laid bare how unequally people thrive or struggle, right? Like at a very fundamental level while tackling um, inequality, it's, you know, it's certainly a long-term challenge in this country, but our economic recovery can really be a meaningful turning point on that path if we're deliberate about it, right? It can really move us towards a more inclusive future if we're deliberate about it and ambitious about it. You know, we've seen so many faces of inequality on vivid display right now, whether it's people without homes forming tent encampment, encampments because they need to be near vital services, uh, seniors facing, uh, you know, startling infection rates in long-term care, just, just horrifying, um, or the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on women, on Indigenous people, on Black and racialized Canadians. These are not new realities, and they are intensified signs of persistent inequality. And so kickstarting our, our post-COVID economy is a chance to build a country where, we're, where safety and opportunity are more inclusively shared. And I would argue it's a chance we cannot afford to, to miss. And driving that, that inclusive Canadian recovery um, is going to require a multi-dimensional ap approach, you know, both bold federal leadership, but strong partners on the ground, including local governments across the country who are closest to the daily lives of, of Canadians. Um, I know our members are ready to contribute uh, once again, starting in priority areas where local expertise is, um, is indispensable to meaningful progress, and that includes housing. And so it's an opportunity. Like we can really, I honestly believe we can end the scourge of homelessness. We can, uh, that predates the pandemic, but has been so harshly intensified by it. Uh, to do it, we're gonna need to scale up. We're gonna need to be ambitious. We're gonna need to move more quickly uh, to expand truly affordable housing options for Canadians, especially those living in ina inadequate or overcrowded housing. Um, that's a critical first step in addressing inequality in our cities and communities. And so this is uh, on our mind. It is front of mind for us as an organization. And we've made a new and very serious commitment to applying an equity lens to all of our work. And so that's that's a change for the better. And I'm proud we're making it. Well, that's a really, really great snapshot of, of everything going on right now. And given that, I wonder what are your hopes for the future of the Federation? 
Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Well, I I hope uh, that we're, you know, it's so interesting. I was in a conversation this morning with a media outlet who was asking us um, about why our, our uh, lobbying points of interaction with the federal government are at an all-time high. Um, and I said, you know, obviously in the context of the pandemic, we've had a lot of necessary uh, conversation, but I hope what we've proven is that this is a necessary new normal. You know, local government needs to be at the table, needs to be informing federal policy, needs to be uh, also leveraging the tools at a local level. And so uh, my hopes for FCM is that we continue on this trend line, that we're able to, to continue uh, to work even more collaboratively with other orders of government, that we start thinking about partnerships with community partners in different ways. Um, and fundamentally, you know, and this is going to take us a bit of time to tool up, but uh, I really do hope that we can, we have an amazing network of programs that we run. We do really good capacity building work with municipalities on a number of files. I'm hoping we can really build and expand on that to help municipalities um, leverage to maximum impact the tools within their, within their bailiwick, including on housing. We know conversations like zoning and densification are critical to the equation. Um, and so hopefully we can better support our members uh, to make progress against it at a local level. You are doing very important and impactful work. Where can people go to find out more about what FCM is doing? So pretty straightforward. If you can remember FCM, then you can remember our website is fcm.ca. Um, and uh, all of our, you'll find an incredible wealth of resources there, everything from our advocacy work to our programs um, and how to get in touch with us if you don't find what you're looking for. Well, that's amazing. And it's been really, really, really great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both very much. You're doing incredible and important work as well. And I'm so pleased to see this conversation being highlighted this way. So thank you. Wow. Um, you know, I, I kept thinking throughout this show, just going back to the beginning, uh, Steph, when, you know, if, if this is what Carol has done uh, under the age of 40, <laughs> what are the next 40 years, you know, what do you have left, right? I mean, uh, it's incredible work. And, and we're so, uh, so fortunate to have leaders like Carol at the forefront of this uh, battle in a, in a tough, tough time. I agree. I was a city reporter for a long time, covered a lot of cities here in the lower mainland of BC. And I really value and appreciate how important local government is and the impact that they have. It's really um, great to hear that they're uh, kicking up their lobbying efforts to let the highest level of government <laughs> know that. Uh, because I think if we're going to get anything done, it has to be on the ground. Um, because on the ground, we, we're really seeing what's going on uh, and can therefore figure out the solutions to best uh, figure it out and, and solve it. Super articulate Absolutely. of me today. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our world, right, a lot of that housing happens at, at that uh, grassroots ground level in cities. And they've been hit so hard, as Carol uh, put it, with around mm -hmm. revenues, not bringing that in. The need has grown. So yeah. to have someone in a group uh, be able to pull that all together and push the federal and provincial governments to do more uh, is needed now more than ever. And so, so glad that they're doing the impactful work that they're doing. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Well, another fantastic guest, another great show. Uh, good luck with all you're doing, the important work at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, and I will see you next time. See you next week.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 